God, to sing these words about our love for you and that you're our strength. Some days we really feel that. Some days it seems easier to believe that than others. And if that's where anybody is in this room here, God, man, praise you for that. I thank you for those days when it just, man, you just absorb that and, and, and we're fully experiencing what it's like for you to be our strength. For those in here, God, who may not be feeling that, who are feeling weak, who are feeling vulnerable, who are feeling as if life is just unsteady underneath them. Lord, I pray that these words wouldn't just be said out of our mouths, but that they will come to transform our minds and our hearts too. That as we sing them, as we speak them, God, that you by your spirit would work in that to actually make them a reality in our hearts and our minds. Because God, in the midst of so much change and turmoil going on in the world, man, you are our hope. You are the stronghold that never fails. You are the refuge where we find rest. And there's no one like you, the God Almighty, who both is able and both loves us at the same time. You are our hope, and we love you because you first loved us. So God, we, together this morning, as we sing to you, um, invite you to come speak to our hearts. Remind us of your love for us. Remind us of the truth, and build us up. Encourage us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. 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 All right, you may have a seat. You may have a seat. It is so good to see you guys here today. Even this morning, I noticed uh, several people uh, who, who showed up for the first time in a long time. Um, you've been watching online, but this first time you showed up in person. Welcome to you guys. Um, yeah, it is, it is so encouraging uh, to just see your all's faces. And if you're watching online with us today, man, we welcome you too. And I pray God meets you in a very special way this morning. Um, I'm going to jump in uh, to our sermon in just a moment, but story first. Um, every Wednesday night here, about 6 o'clock, we have a group of just prayer warriors, right, who, who meet in here and pray for about an hour, hour and a half uh, for our nation, our community, our world. And about three, four weeks ago, uh, they, were, they were in here praying. By the way, anyone's welcome to come to this group. Um, it's not just an ex exclusive thing. Like, anyone's welcome to come pray. Um, but while they were praying a few weeks ago, um, Rita Smolinski, who many of you guys know, just all of a sudden stopped and said, where, where are the kids in Ukraine getting diapers? And they were like, what? <laughs> what? She said, diapers. She says, I just thought we were supposed to pray for diapers. And so all of a sudden, they prayed for diapers there on that Wednesday night. And while in the moment that might have seemed like an unusual thing to just pick out to pray for, what's our foyer filled with right now? <laughs> Diapers. Because when we, at that point, we didn't know anything that was going on in, in Romania, what Pastor Marion was doing and bringing supplies into Ukraine. We didn't know about all that yet. But it wasn't until a couple weeks later that we called Marion and he says, hey, we need diapers. And all of a sudden, we have this foyer filled with diapers. 
Hey, guys, God answers prayer. God answers prayer. And I just, I just say, I want to encourage you with that. And, and, and $16,000? Are you kidding me? Man, he's good. Thank you for, for just being a vehicle of his generosity um, to the people in Ukraine, uh, that we get to be a part of that together. And I can't wait to see all that he's going to do in and through, uh, not just this church, but the capital C church across the world. Um, and being able to, to, to go to those uh, who need that cup of water, you know, the least of these. Because as you do it unto them, we're doing it unto Christ. Amen? Amen. So thank you, thank you, thank you, church. What a privilege it is to be a part of this with you. Um, and as we're jumping into week four of our series leading up to Easter called Kingdom Come, I just want to give a quick recap of, of where we've been thus far. You know, we talked about how Jesus uses this, this phrase, and he talks about this phenomenon called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Over a hundred times does it come up in the four accounts of Jesus' life, the Gospels. That's a lot, over a hundred. So it must be a pretty central theme for him. But as we've discussed, the challenge is that for those of us in a democratic society, words like king and kingdom, they don't exactly mesh with our everyday experience. And so we started off just defining the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as God's kingship or his will, his intention in action. And after walking through that, week one, we learned how in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven broke into this world. And it was in fulfillment of all that God promised since the very beginning. And in week two, we looked at this beautiful picture of how God's kingship, his rule and reign transforms us and then works through us. And then we saw last week, we opened up the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, which is Jesus' kingdom manifesto, if you will. You know, asking the question, if we as a group of people together uh, claim, crown Jesus as king over us, then who do we become? Right? What values and characteristics begin to distinguish us in the midst of this world? And so if you missed any of those, no worries. You can find them online uh, or on the Trinity app. But this week, I want to address a question that I'm sure is on somebody's mind, or at least under the surface of a lot of people's mind. And it's this. If the kingdom of heaven has come in Jesus then why is there still so much pain, evil, and seemingly senseless suffering in the world? Anybody ask that question? I mean, I have. Jesus said, the kingdom has come. And we're like, where? <laughs> like, if it's come, I'm not always seeing it. You know, if, if, if the kingdom has come, has anything changed? I mean, we're coming out of, right, a pandemic that has devastated countless lives. We're seeing this many people in the Ukraine, even women and children, who are the victims of this vain war. The U.S. just declared this last week that, that the Burmese military are committing genocide against the Rohingya people. And, and we, we look at all those who are powerless and voiceless who have become victims of trafficking, abortion, discrimination. And if God says his kingdom has come, then where is it? The writer of Psalm 10 was looking around and he was seeing the wicked prosper and seeming to get away with it. And he said, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You felt that? I have. 
Just yesterday, Shelby was in Memphis, Tennessee, singing at a funeral. Some close friends of ours from college said goodbye to their three-year-old son named Houston. Houston was born with cerebral palsy, chronic seizures, among many things. Throughout his whole life, he was in and out of the hospital, bound to a wheelchair. And you look at that and you say, God, if, you, if your kingdom has come, then why? Why so much suffering? Why, God, do we deal with this grief, this anxiety, this animosity, this anger? God, we see natural disaster, addiction, cancer, depression. Why? Why? And as our discouraged minds try to make sense of it, we can't help but wonder. At least it comes to our mind, like, did Jesus mislead us? Or maybe God did come, but maybe he just doesn't care? And if you've asked any of those questions, man, you're not alone. If those thoughts have come to your mind, you're not alone. We've all been there. And we've all asked those hard questions. So what did Jesus mean when he said the kingdom of heaven has come near? What did he mean? Well, in this famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us to pray, and he taught us to pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, if this is the prayer Jesus gave us to pray, it must be one that he wants to answer, right? Yeah, you would assume so. Now, now heaven, though, is a place without crying, pain, it is a place where all the people and the angels of God like, exist just in his pure glory. No one is outside of his glory. There is only peace and love. And so if Jesus taught us to pray that earth would be like heaven, I man, that sounds pretty good. But do we experience that? I mean, I don't know. And as we dive in today, we're really going to go at three questions. Why did Jesus come? And what does it mean that is the kingdom comes to earth today as it is in heaven? And what are we promised that he will do in the future? So if you'll pray with me, and then we're going to dive in. And so, Lord, man, this is, this is a heavy topic today. And I, I feel the weight of it. I feel not just empathy for those who are going through things. Because a message like this just brings so many faces to mind. God, but it's also just the weight of wanting to be faithful to your word here. And making sure that I represent your word well. But God, more than anything, it has to be your spirit that takes your word and moves it to our hearts. So will you do that? We open up your, our hearts to you, our minds to you, transform us. And may your kingdom come, your will be done, here among us as it is in heaven. Amen. So many of us have grown up hearing, if not repeating, those words of Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, for many, though, it's a ritualistic prayer, right? We say it because the pastor or priest told you to do it. Um, but when you actually stop to think about what it means, that's a big deal. Earth like heaven? Really? And when I hear that, like my mind wants to start imagining Oh, what must it be like if earth became like heaven? But 
if I'm honest, cynicism stops me. <laughs> I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's good, but it happens. Cynicism stops me because I want to ask, like, if the church of Jesus has been praying this prayer for 2,000 years, why don't we see more of it? How do we make sense of that? See, if heaven's king has come to earth, it's confusing when earth looks so little like heaven. And if that resonates with you, you're not alone. You're not alone at all. When Jesus went public with his message across Galilee, uh, his message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but he also demonstrated it. You know, he healed people. He cast out evil spirits. And, all, and people, Jewish people from all over Israel swarmed to him in anticipation. But they didn't just come to him because he was healing people. But they also came to him because all their lives they had been told and taught that heaven's king would come. The Messiah would come to rule over them and make all things right. That the Jewish people had been waiting 2,000 years since the promise of Abraham to Abraham. That God, the eternal, would send his eternal king to come. And to be ready, the Jewish people studied the, the, the words of the law and the prophets, waiting. And so you can imagine these gobs of people running to Jesus, but what's in their mind are the words of like Isaiah chapter 2, where they're thinking, oh man, maybe this guy's the guy who will come establish peace, so we will no longer need swords. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor train for war anymore. I think they were also imagining Isaiah 25. What if this man, Jesus, is heaven's king who will swallow up death forever, who will wipe away the tears from our faces and remove the people's disgrace from all the earth? I mean, doesn't that sound like heaven on earth? Yeah, it does. And see, in many of their minds, the minds of the, the people in, in Jesus' time, they imagined human history much like this. That they were currently before Jesus, that they were in what was called the old age. And I borrowed this, this graphic uh, from George Eldon Ladd in his book, The Gospel of the Kingdom. But they imagined themselves, to this point, living in the old age. And the old age was the age of sin, death, and injustice. It's the age where people can turn their backs on God and seem to get away with it. It's the age where, where, where death looms like a constant shadow over people. It's the age of cold darkness, where the lowercase g God of the age is Satan himself. But the promise was that God's Messiah would come on that capital D, Day of the Lord. And at that point when the Messiah comes, the age to come would begin. This is when, when God's kingship would come and earth would be like heaven. And the age to come, instead of being sin, death, and injustice, is an age of eternal life, peace, justice, joy. That Ezekiel 37 even says, in the age to come, God will open your graves and bring you up from them. That he will put his spirit in you and you will live. This is the age of resurrection and the spirit of God. And they also saw that the age to come, that the Lord will come with irresistible power. That he will execute justice as he rules from Jerusalem and brings total peace. So this is very much what was in their minds 
when they heard Jesus say, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Is this the Messiah? Is this, is this our king? I mean, he, he teaches it with, with authority, like he actually knows God. Doesn't just know about him, but he knows God. He's, he's healing people, bringing peace to their physical bodies. He's, he's casting out evil spirits by the Holy Spirit. And, and the evil spirits get up, out, and obey. And then Jesus said things like this. If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's him! Right? I, the age to come has begun. Right? But you know, sometimes God's plan doesn't always fit with our full expectations. And when God's plan crushes or doesn't even meet up to our expectations, we're not always sure how to respond. So many of the people with that same image in their minds that this is the Messiah went by force to try to Make Jesus king. That's what you do. Instead, he withdrew. He slipped away. What gives? And above all of that, the Messiah is supposed to come because he's bringing swift, irresistible justice to Caesar and Rome. But instead, he ended up on a Roman cross and mocked as the king of the Jews. That doesn't fit our plan at all. And when God's plan turns out different than our expectations, how do we respond? So when God's plan doesn't match my hope, I can choose to trust in me. Right? Much of the crowd, once they realized that Jesus wasn't following their script, they decided to stop following him and trust in their own plans instead. And when our plans come crashing down, and we see that the world is not as it should be. Man, it's so easy to say, well, there must not be a God. Or if there is a God, I, I care about people more than he does. Pretty much trust in me. Or in our pain, we want to blame him, become angry with him, walk away from him, or start looking someplace else to fulfill our hopes. Or when God's plan doesn't match my hope, I can choose to trust him. The sorrow that we feel is real. That pain, that ache, that desire to see all things made right, that's real. But when we feel that, can we believe that joy can come in the morning? I do not understand why pain is in the present. But I want to believe that his promises hold true for the future. And when we pray his will be done on earth, we're not just praying to the God of my will. We're not just praying, may my will be filled on the earth. Or the, praying to the God who fulfills my plans. But we're in that moment saying, God, I struggle to understand your plan. But I still want your will to be done. I want your kingship to be an action among me. And while the cross was the greatest disruption to the Jews' plans that they could have imagined for their Messiah. Looking back, we realize it's a reminder that our King knows what deep suffering is. 
And then if he went to the cross for you and me, and he experienced the grief and the pain that, that I can't even imagine, then surely he's with us now. Surely. That even if we don't understand why, if I see that cross, I can at least understand that he's for me, he's with me, and he loves me. But were the Jews wrong to hope for the age to come? Of course not. Like, their basis of hope is our hope too. But why don't we see God's promises fulfilled yet? You know, why on earth is earth not like heaven? See, the king of heaven will fill the earth with his glory. But first, he had to set us free from sin. So you remember that same thing, right? The original slide. That the, the understanding was, is when the Messiah came, that was the moment when he would execute justice for sinners and he would get rid completely of the old age. So basically, their idea was, God, when your Messiah comes, you're going to take all the bad people and you're going to push them over there and you're going to destroy them and us, the good people, will remain. That sounds kind of simple, doesn't it? But what's the problem? We've all sinned. Romans 3.23, for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn, as, a, as an author, said, he said, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human. The problem is that the old age isn't just something out there someplace. It's in here. It's in here. And if Christ came with swift, irresistible justice, who would remain not me. No one. But the king of heaven came first in grace to set us free from the enemy of sin. So instead, this is the picture of how our Messiah came into human history and will come into human history. You see that first, or the, the vertical line on the left side there. That is Jesus breaking into history, to bringing in the rule of God on earth, but first to liberate our hearts and souls from the power of Satan and sin. The first John 3, 8 makes it clear. It says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy, or you can translate that, untie the devil's work. See, sin is Satan's hook of power over us. His right to condemn us to death. But to liberate us from the slavery of sin's grip, the king of heaven entered Satan's domain and gave his life as a ransom and rose again from the grave. So that as Hebrews 2.14 says, by Jesus' death, he broke or made useless the power of him who holds the power of death, the devil. That's what he came and accomplished when he came. So that in turn, all who confess that Jesus is Lord, and believe he rose again, no longer belong to Satan in the old age, but to God's kingdom in the age to come. So the age to come burst on the scene when Jesus rose from the grave. 
Because that is the moment when Satan's power was broken and death was given an eviction notice. And Scripture promises that as Jesus came, so he will return. And when he returns, and we're going to talk about this more next week, when he returns, it will be in judgment to bring total justice upon the earth. And no one will be able to reject his kingship on that day. And it, Scripture tells us over and over, we are to be ready for that day. This is when, when Jesus returns, that the old age will completely be a thing of the past. As the everlasting glory of God subsumes all of creation. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for that day to come. And we are people that we know this is in our future because Christ has risen from the dead. It has already begun. But in the meantime, we live in this tension of if you've given your life to Christ, we belong to the kingdom of God, the age to come, while still living in a world where we see the effects of the old age present around us. That we live in the present as those who belong to the future, not the past. Some call this, this point where we are in history as the already but not yet. That the kingdom of God has already come, but not fully yet. That the kingdom of heaven has come. That God has come to live, dwell within us and to be among us while we still experience the pain of Satan, sin, and death around us. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we aren't just praying for that day of Christ's return, but we're also praying for today. God, will your age to come break into right now? Will you bring about your power? Will you invade the old? Will you draw hearts to Jesus? Will you set things right? And so that prayer has, really means two things at the same time. Are you tracking with me? both for now and for the future. So why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Man, I could get up here and pretend to know the mind of God. That feels a little arrogant to me. <laughs> but one thing I do know, because Scripture's told us, is that before he comes in power, Christ is patiently working to win people's hearts. Many of us have asked that question. I know. I mean, why, why are you taking so long, Jesus? And Second Peter answers it like this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Once Christ returns, there will be no turning back. But while evil, death, and sin are still painfully at work around us, we also know because Christ lives, they've been given an eviction notice. And because Christ lives, pain, suffering, war, hunger will end. But now today, Jesus is at work drawing people to belong to his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the age to come. But while we wait for that day, as those who are in this world, but yet the God of heaven is within us, 
how do we, what do we focus on, right? Like, how do we handle this tension of being in a world but not of it? What do we do? See, Christ's kingdom comes as we learn to listen to and obey God's spirit within us. Now, that might sound nebulous, but I want to I show you something. See, as I briefly mentioned earlier, one statement that Jesus said that I can't get over is in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, where he said, listen, if the Spirit of God is the one at work, whether it's driving out demons or anything else, wherever the Spirit of God is at work, the kingdom of God has come upon you. You start to see the connection between the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God. Jesus added in John 3, 5, he said, anyone who wants to enter the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God must first be born of his spirit. See, God's kingdom has come wherever God's spirit is working. And that means, that means that if we're asking God for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, God also hears that as, come Holy Spirit, fill me, change me, redeem me, lead me. That we cannot live in this present age as people of the age to come without the Holy Spirit. Don't even try. We don't even want to, right? Because otherwise, we can't. But all of this is not just meant to be, I don't know, a redirection, but also a comfort. Because it reminds me of what Jesus told his disciples. He said, guys, listen, I'm leaving soon. I said, what? Excuse me? Like, yeah, I'm leaving. Like, you're leaving us here in this world? Yeah. But what does Jesus say? to comfort them in the midst of that. He said, but the advocate, who is the advocate? The Holy Spirit. Will help you and be with you forever. How long? Forever. And that he is the spirit of truth. And the world, those of the old age, cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But we can certainly pray for them that they will, right? But you, those of the new age, the kingdom of God, know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. And for all of us who are aching for Jesus' return and struggling with the pain and grief of this world, know this. First, you are never alone. For God's Spirit is with you now and forever. That I think we've all felt like the psalmist. God, why do you stand far off? And in those moments we come back to Jesus where he said the advocate will help you, be with you. Now and forever. And then one day God's peace, we know, we promise, will cover the whole earth. But for now, we know the peace of his spirit is within each of us. So that we're not overwhelmed or consumed in the midst of this world. So may the spirit of peace come to our hearts as it is in heaven. But second... When we are confused, God's Spirit leads us toward truth again. Because when pain and fear hit us, it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus, we're all tempted to look to God and say, what are you doing? To blame him, to deny him, to get angry with him. But it's the spirit of truth that grounds us. And Romans 12, too, says... And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. That is the old age. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is something that we do because the Holy Spirit reveals God's truth. He is the Spirit of truth. And as we spend time in God's Word, as we mark out time to pray, I don't know why it is, when I go through hard things or I'm really tired, sometimes I spend less time with God, when I actually need to spend more time with God. Like that's the very moment that I need Him the most. But as we come to him and we allow him to transform us, to become like people of the age to come, he renews our mind so that if we want God's will to come to earth as it is in heaven, that's how we learn to test and approve what it is. That there with the Holy Spirit, we're reminded that pain has a t- is temporary, that the age to come has already begun. And because our Savior lives, we have a hope that will never spoil or fade. And when the world throws its worst at us, it cannot take God's Spirit from us or the hope of the resurrection that has already happened and promised to come. So may the power of God's Spirit rule in us and work through us today as we prayerfully anticipate the day of our king's return. So I briefly mentioned in the beginning about our friends who lost their three-year-old son, Houston Lamar Gregory. Here's his picture. And man, from the day that he was born, you're going to talk about nothing turning out as you expect. He was born 10 weeks early. And he was born with cerebral palsy. Seizures many other disabilities, and like I said, he was bound to a wheelchair. He spent his life in and out of the hospital. But one thing I didn't mention is how his parents, Dean and Larissa, who are friends from college, how they have been such a picture to Shelby and me of what it looks like to live as people of the age to come, even in the midst of some of the most horrific pain that we... I can't even imagine it. That during Houston's last few days, they were in that hospital room with him, just playing nothing but worship music. And Larissa actually texted Shelby and said, hey, could you record yourself singing that come, Lord Jesus, come? And so in his final hours, he had just these words sung over him. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. And if where the Holy Spirit is working, the kingdom of God has come, what are they singing? May your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just yesterday, Shelby sang that same song at his funeral. And while we know that Houston is experiencing the glory of God right now, and that he is not in pain, one thing we've come to learn is how Dee and Larissa are now, as a way of honoring and remembering him, now they are advocates for the other kids with disabilities in their area. That they, they like his wheelchair, everything, hundred, you know, thousand dollars worth of stuff just given away. Because they see that now that they've invited the Holy Spirit into their pain, instead of pushing God away, they invited God in. And they said, God, I don't know how to get through this, but I don't want to get through this without you. 
They invited him in, and in the midst of that, he is now using this pain and bringing about some life for other families with kids with disabilities who are often forgotten and neglected. That we see kingdom life coming through them, even in the midst of such tragedy. And as I think about them, may our king rule in us and empower us today by his spirit as we prayerfully anticipate the day of his return. So as we close, where are you feeling the acute pain of this world? Where, how are you experiencing ache, anxiety, anger, animosity? And can you invite God's spirit into that? How might he want to meet you where you are and turn, even if the pain doesn't go away, bring life in the midst of it? So let's pray. God, there's so My mind tries to climb, climb to the heights of heaven to try to understand your ways and why you do what you do. But man, I keep falling back down. My mind simply can't understand it all. But you have revealed yourself to us. And you have come to us. And when you could have come, with judgment against us, you came in grace. And when you could have come, and and God, and, and frankly, allowed us to experience the condemnation we deserve, instead, you died for us. And if that's who you are, then God, I want to hold on to that. I want to learn to grip that with everything I got, even when I feel the pain of this age knowing that the age to come has already begun. So Lord, build fresh hope within us, hope within us. And wherever these these places are in our lives, we're experiencing ache, anxiety, this animosity, all that we know is temporary, but God is so real right now. I pray, Father, that your spirit would meet people right there. And may you come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit. 